0: listening to The Magnet Podcast.
1: Welcome to The Magnet Theatre Podcast. I'm your host, Lewis Kornfeld. My guest today is Susan Messing. Susan, thanks for talking. Lewis,
0: thanks for having
1: me. Hey, it's our pleasure. So we were just to, I guess the first thing I want to say, just to kind of piggyback off of what we were just talking about, I've met you a couple of times at festivals. Um, I'm so sorry. No, no, no. You're, <laughs> great. you're uh, a disarming person. You're like a, 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 you know, you're a legendary figure in the world of empire. I know nobody likes to hear that, but uh-huh. it's it's true. You're you're you know you're one of those people that you have kind of like guru status. You know, to, you do. I know. I know. It sucks. Oh. But um, uh, you have a really great ability to instantly set everybody. At ease, totally at ease,
0: well, I eat Thai food and and then curl up, <laughs> sobbing naked on a cold tile floor, just like anybody
1: else so that 's it, just like anybody else <laughs> <laughs> i I assume that that goes hand in hand with the way that you teach improv and the way that you see improv of making people feel very comfortable to be themselves and to let it out.
0: you know it's kind of interesting that you said that because yesterday I was teaching two classes, and I had two teachers in the back in the in the back of the class just watching it. And at one point they were like, preach, preach. And I'm going. And after the class, I thought, Oh, I said, How nice of you to hang out and just watch class, because I don't want to sit and watch anybody teach. You yeah. know what I mean? I said, No, you know, I didn't watch that class as a teacher. I watched it as an improviser. So and everything is like, Yeah, now I can I feel like I can recommit to this shit. Yeah. Am like, oh, I allowed to swear? Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, I swear good. I... Sorry, sorry. Please. Um but one part of me just kind of thought. Yeah, that's why I go to class every time I teach. Is so when I because when I walk my walk I rock, and when I don't I suck just as bad as if I just started. Yeah. So I assume I teach the way I would be interested in hearing it. Yeah, you know, and and it really does come back to feeling a lot more comfortable in your skin, so that you can give yourself permission to do unbearably hateful things. Because yeah. you know me, I'll 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 go there, <laughs> I, and not not in a way that's like. Like psychol, you know, psychologically fucking with people. I'm not interested in that. It's not our jurisdiction. I think teachers who, um, who fuck with students mm-hmm. in some sort of psychological way, thinking that that they have power over them, or mm-hmm. I don't know. It's I think it's an abuse of power where somebody they'll take them down a road like a real personal road, like talk about things you you wouldn't talk about with anybody. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a reason you're not talking about them with anybody. You know, that, that, those, that shit's for DCFS, the Department of Children and Family Services, or your shrink. It's, like, <laughs> not my jurisdiction. At the same time, I think I have a pretty good tap into the human condition, and I have a lot of empathy and compassion. Yeah. yeah.
1: There, I was reading about uh, um, uh, humanistic psychology the other day.
0: Yeah, because that's masturbatory material right
1: exactly right. uh, exactly and then I was I was jerking off jerking off and then hard. I read a little bit more about like Carl Rogers and then I jerked off a and little then bit you more. came right. and then I came and then I put it down and I was like this is
0: well you know afterwards you're like this porn is no you know. it's
1: like shut up <laughs> what porn. am I doing this isn't pornography at all this is homework
0: right exactly I, yeah. <laughs> exactly
1: so there's like a big thing in, in in humanistic psychology is unconditional acceptance of, you don't think of someone as a patient, you think of them as a client, and unconditional acceptance to allow them to just kind of be themselves and, and let it all hang out and kind of get into touch with you know whatever's going on inside
0: that's a nice theory and it's a it's the theory of improv but yeah. one of the reasons i teach a class called protecting the freak where you can learn how to play with humpy boy and creepy girl yeah you know what i mean that person you love off stage but you're like i can't do yeah, yeah. with this. as a matter of fact you've actually come on stage and then backed up because you're like my mom's in the audience i'll take a risk next week uh-huh. you know that shit this one teaches you how to do that and make everything purposeful so that nobody goes back to the improv police rules and goes, I can't believe he always does that to me and she always does this and and I'm kind of saying no, you can actually play with anybody yeah. and I will prove it. And actually by the end of the class you will be looking for humpy boy and creepy girl.
1: What's what how do you how do you coach people to feel comfortable or or protective of humpy boy? Cuz humpy boy you know, Humpy Boy's tough to play with.
0: The only time that you can't play with Humpy Boy is when Humpy Boy is a baby Huey, and baby Hueys hurt people. Mm-hmm. They hurt people. They're, you're like, baby Huey, put down the duck. Like, stop it. Yeah. Like, like, he's he's dangerous. Um, he doesn't know his own physical strength, and he h- simply hurts people. Yeah, yeah. That, you have to say, if the only thing you can control in improv is your body, you better learn how to fucking control your body, because mm-hmm. you can't play nicely with the other kids otherwise. That's the only thing. Yeah. Other, other than that... I can get anybody to enjoy exactly where they are because that's the whole point. Because everything you need. The problem with these people is they're going back in their heads, and you know, your teacher was saying things to you like, How'd that scene make you feel? And you're like, I was in my head, and they're like, Poor you. And well, at this point, I'm like, Fuck you, because if you're in your head, you're not with me. Mm -hmm. So actually, it's a great indication that you're not committing enough. So commitment isn't enough in this work, it's recommitment when you want to fucking give up. Mm -hmm. And that's when I kind of rub their face into what they've already done or said, or their friend has done and said, And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, yeah, there's so much going on. I'm like, yeah, because you have to turn down the monologue that says, I hate myself. I wish I were never born and did I leave the stove on last night? Yeah. Yeah, that.
1: So so the reason why I bring up the unconditional support stuff is because it, it...
0: It's not true in practice always. No. It's always true in theory. Yeah. And then... People say I can't play with this person or that person, and then somebody becomes the scapegoat on your team. And finally, the you know the coach finally it, your righteous indignation knows no bounds, and finally your coach takes them off the team, and someone else is going to become another scapegoat. Yeah. It's just what's going to happen. Yeah. So unless you start taking responsibility for your own shit and stop looking at your friends for their validation or their that their actions are what is going to make you look so much better. Yeah. Then you're gonna be fucked. So my suggestion is is if you don't have fun, you're the asshole, and um, then everybody gets off. yeah, yeah. I uh, and it really works. yeah. If you take responsibility for your own shit on stage, it works. You, people can't read your Look, if you want to be a control freak, go be a, go do fucking sketch. And I didn't start a scene so that you could vomit a thesis and I could fulfill it like a Mad Lib. Mm-hmm. Now don't get me wrong, I can always put a, pers- a person into somebody's left brain invented plot and that's fine. And I'll have I'll have fun and I'll get off, but I'd rather go on a ride with you, t- you know, you and me in a world and see what the fuck happens. The last time I checked that was called improv. Yeah. Yeah. That's the- just me. <laughs> There's different schools of thought that disagree and I'm in New York right now, so I can say that there's <laughs> people will disagree with me and the and, and and i don't I don't think there's one game, and I think it works really, really well for writing on stage um for teaching people how to write you know immediately, mm-hmm. and that's a great thing, but for me I, I just get off a different way and and I know so many of my friends get off that way, yeah, I and mean, that's totally fine, and I could play with
1: that, yeah. It's an interesting, like, way to think about it about getting off because it it kind of it goes back to this thing of ownership, right? It goes back to you, you got to kind of know your measurement for how you're doing and if you're enjoying yourself is if you're getting off versus if you're kind of doing it by the book or correctly like I I find the more rule oriented stuff becomes the more you start to define the quality of the work that you're doing based on other people's opinions and other people's feedback
0: well I think getting off is a great way to say it because you know do you want to have sex right or you want to have sex right (laughs) <laughs> so yeah. in my 20s I'm like lying there and I'm going okay turn off the lights and I want to yeah. make sure my tit doesn't go under my arm and am I doing this right am I hurting him right. <laughs> yeah that's my 20s my yeah. 50s are I don't give a shit if it's flubby fuck it <laughs> that's where I am that's where I am <laughs> because if I'm if, if I'm not getting off something's wrong and I'm either better go get a life so that I can come back to this work and get off more Um, I certainly had, have there has to be a point in life where you've got to stop blaming other people yeah you just have to yeah yeah, where, and, or like these are the only two people I can play with. Right. I'm like, well, I've got to do a pickup game all over the fucking world. So figure it out.
1: Yeah, yeah. Where, where, where for you is the line between someone kind of taking that advice and taking it to kind of selfish ends, where they take it as like license to do whatever they feel like, but their scene partner kind of doesn't really matter in the equation?
0: Well, I can fold humpy boy and creepy girl into a scene. Yeah. Um, for example. Two people are doing a beautiful love scene. I did this yesterday in class. Two people are having a gorgeous love scene. And I have a a humpy boy come in and actually start interrupting the scene by humping the fuck out of the girl who is in the middle of a love scene. Now, what rationally happens? They stop and they go, What the fuck is this shit? And da da da. And the funny is the game of humpy boy. Mm -hmm. Okay, fine. Now, I've changed this up. So they have their love scene, and humpy boy comes in and stops humping, I mean, starts humping her and um they continue their love scene so i folded him in and he's there and he you can turn to him and say you know and say i can't believe you've accepted my son jason too <laughs> do you see what i'm saying but yeah. but she's still in a love scene people think they have to drop their shit yeah. for a predominant energy we can teach them ultimately that your desire to enter a scene might be your ability to wait and see when it needs to be edited. How many of you fuckers leave people out to dry? You do, because you're, you're on the side folding your arms mm-hmm. in your hoodies. Sorry, friends. But you are. You're sitting <laughs> there in your fucking hoodies. That's whole, exactly
1: what I'm doing right in now it, in my hoodie. Not, yeah, but my, you're my not crossing. <laughs> yeah,
0: but they're crossing their arms, or their, their arms are in front of their crotch like uh-huh. in goal kick, or they're in mental institution with their hands behind their back, and they're like, not me. And I'm like, you're fucking long-form asshole. This is everybody's. Yeah. You have to be ready. So I get my lazy fucking ass pulled forward, ready to edit and support. And I look at what exists, and I say, "Is is my entering this scene necessary? Does it support what already exists, or am I a new better thing? Mm-hmm. In which case, let's get to your new better thing scene, which never is better anyway." Mm-hmm. It's just different. Yeah. So I can fold them in. I can play with anybody. And it's not even a matter anymore of defenses and escapes. I just don't have a judgment about yeah. it. Yeah. Because the only time you can't watch someone on stage is when they have I suck, you suck, or this sucks in their eyes. And then you're like, I can't play with that because this person has already told me to hate you. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I'm, and I'm going, why would I, why, if you have time to judge a scene in the middle of a scene, then you're not committed enough. Yeah. There you go. Go yeah. hate yourself on your own time or go hate me on my own time. I, I don't give a shit. Yeah. So, I mean, there are, there are strong suggestions that how playtime can be easier, but I don't want to, I don't want to tell I don't want to yuck someone's yum. That's a, that's <laughs> the 12 year olds who are saying that now. Don't yuck my yum. Yeah. Uh,
1: uh um, Oh, is is that is
0: is is that sort of answer where you were going? Oh yeah,
1: it definitely does. It, it well, it's interesting too because like because when people relax their crack, yeah,
0: they actually really do refocus. When you add fear and adrenaline to the mix, you get a lot of creepy behavior, even on your own, even when you think you're so grounded. And then all of a sudden, you know, somebody's show right before yours was really really good, and you all of a sudden you feel pressure of product versus process. And, you know, I just have to say, you know, my desire to create is going to have to supersede the weirdness I have to go through in order to create. And I get off again. It happens every time. But don't think that I don't have to give myself this message, even after all this time. Sure. Because if my only rule is, if you don't have fun, you're the asshole, this is me right before the show. Sorry, this is I. Right before the show, I'll be thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to be the asshole, and it's my role, and it's my show, I'm such a fucking asshole. Hey, thanks for being my friend. I'm going to kill myself. (laughs) So I get it. I totally get it. But when I walk my talk... it it all sets back in place and I keep thinking I'm not particularly um, unique Mm -hmm. I must be having the same feelings as other people I share it and then they go oh good you feel that way too so how do I change that and I'm like well we have to change our thinking we have to reframe everything everybody's like I ain't bad at names I'm not good at object work I'm like yeah you are every day you're getting better at object work every day I'm getting better at names because how many times in a scene have you wasted three quarters of the scene because you can't remember what you fucking called them in in the beginning of the scene so, you actually gave them their generic names. What's your boy name?
1: Uh, well, Bill or Dave.
0: Oh, Bill or Dave. Uh huh. What's yeah. the girl name?
1: The, usually Susan or Lisa.
0: Uh huh. Susan is an indigenously 1960s name. Yeah. Nobody's calling somebody Lisa now. Uh-huh.
2: Do you see what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So, you
0: want to call, so every Susan is a, is like, from the 1960s. Yeah. Do, do you see what I'm saying here? Yeah. Like, it, what do they look like to you? Yeah. You know, Addison, a tailor, just because that's the, the thing. There was the Britney section, you know, the Courtney's, you know, the Whitney's. I mean, even that kind of tells you where people, the Amelia's, mm-hmm. the Emily's, the Anna. You know what <laughs> I mean? And then when you go back to like, because that's, people go like, here's my funny lady name, like Gertrude. And I'm going... Are you of a Julia Roberts where you named your kids Hazel and Phineas and it's some sort of old-fashioned thing coming back? Or are you putting out a funny name like, Dr. Armageddon, Mm -hmm. like, blow me. uh, What does it look like to you? If you had to name your fucking child, I better believe you'd have a goddamn good answer. It wasn't like... Here's something I found on a street, like Jimmy, Billy, Susie, crap, right? Right? Yeah. Rupert Murdoch didn't buy up all our names and right. leave us too. Right. So, so we're we're it's not even just lazy. It's just we're we're not imaginative anymore. We're going oh fuck! I have a rule that I have to name someone. I'm like. No, scenes are about people Yeah, and people have names and you don't like anyone whose name you don't know anyway. In your new long form called the Glink, which I really don't give a shit about at all, but when time passes, you can't wait to see that person again. Yeah. yeah. Time just fucking passes if you love them. Yeah. So you don't have to sit on the side and let your friends out to dry in the middle of their fucking scene. Ow. (laughs) Bitch getting tough. It's too early for this.
1: It is pretty early in the day for you guys listening. Um... Yeah, I I actually, if I can get away without naming any of scenes, I prefer it because I, I almost never call anybody by their name in real life and it feels like I'm faking it.
0: Well, think about that. Think about what it takes for you to remember. Yeah. It's you can remember. I can if I asked you right now what your childhood bedroom looked like, mm-hmm. you would be able to distinctly show me where the porn was, where your special box of treasures was, where this was on the shelf, and you can't remember something you called someone two minutes ago. That's mm-hmm. just called lazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So instead of saying I'm bad at names, you do what it takes for you to reinvest in it. Look, when I didn't know your name again today, I was like, "What the fuck's your name again?" I was yeah. like, "The oh, note starts with L. Ah, oh, 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 You know, and I'm back in." So, the minute you know somebody's name, you've actually connected with them. Totally. So, there's no hope of connection. You're fucking connecting.
1: Well, the thing, like, you go back to, like, <coughs> your bedroom when you were a kid. Yeah. And the difference between that and Lisa is that, um, like, you care about your bedroom. You had stuff in it that meant something to you. You, you care you about have people. a relationship, no, no, totally. No,
0: no, no, you care about people. Well, yeah,
1: totally. But I'm saying when you when you come on out in the scene and you just say, Mr. Johnson or Lisa, or you kind of like slap the label onto it, you're usually saying it before you've had the moment to actually get, to to, to like think about like the spirit of this person that you're talking to. to no, think no, no, about this like is improv. You don't yet.
0: have a fucking, you don't have any fucking time to do that. Uh-huh. If I look at you and hold your hand and say, Dr. J., Dr. J fixed my wonky breast. I'm not going to tell you which one was wonky because he fixed it, right, Dr. J? I already know how I feel about him. Hmm. That's my grandpa Murray's. They used to call him Dr. J. Yeah. And no, he was not a breast surgeon, (laughs) but he was an anesthesiologist. Yeah. But still, what I'm trying to say is the way you say somebody's name tells you how you feel about them. So everything you're doing and saying is a clue. Fucking eat on that shit, motherfucker. Yeah. As opposed to next better, next better. I'm going to get you the funny scene where Mark Sutton once talked about how nobody at the end of a scene says, man, I'm so glad they fixed that bicycle. Yeah. That is such a fucking awesome bicycle they fixed. What the fuck? Yeah. Who gives a shit? It's about the people. At
1: this point for you... Uh, I mean, does that make sense? It totally makes and sense. And
0: it makes you recommit because like, the next time you get on stage, you're going to look at it a little differently because you can't wait to... Because a Glenn is you know what I mean is different than an Alfonso yeah and that kind of stuff when you start chewing on the 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 tiny things you have to recognize our audience doesn't get on off on your funny they get off on your specificity yeah they'll come up to you after a show and go oh my god I've got a cousin from Topeka and they get all excited as opposed to your wacky premise nobody gives a shit about your plot that's great for a podcast but nobody. But this is a visual art. Mm-hmm. So we want to see people interact. We want to see that moment. We want, we want, it, we want that. Yeah. That's what gets us all excited. So if we don't take the time to enjoy the ride, why should they enjoy the ride? What's better than, than the person right in front of you? And I'm not saying that that's the only game in town. I have a game for me that you fuckers can't take away because you can't control my body. Mm-hmm. I've got a game for this world and the way I deal with it, and I have a game for you. So we keep thinking that the scene is about the other person with like an Amber Alert on their head with all the answers. They've got some. They've got some. I'd rather justify what's in front of me than invent any premise for a scene ever because mm-hmm. that so doesn't interest me because if I've got a great idea for a scene, I'm going to fucking write it and it's called sketch and I'll fucking hand you the sides and tell what you where to fucking stand so you don't get disappointed that you didn't do my scene. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. This is the way you're sitting there holding your fa- hands right now and looking at me like, I could justify that and put you anywhere in a world and then you and I get to enjoy it. Because yeah. nobody loves living in a void unless you're doing Waiting for Godot, and that's a shitty still play. That's a, <laughs> a shitty play. I'm sorry, I don't give a shit. Every time they bring that goddamn play back, I'm like, uh huh, I hate it just as much. It's like herring. Every year I try herring because I, <laughs> I love fish, I love creamy sauce, I love onions. I love, I love that, the idea of it. And then I eat it, and I'm like, fuck you, it's sweet. You know what I mean? It is, yeah. It's not right, it yeah. should be salty.
1: I, uh, uh, You were saying, before we started the interview, you were talking about how in, in offstage you are you tend to think like five steps ahead. Absolutely. You tend Absolutely. to be a real planner.
0: I have to keep my daughter alive. I have to make sure the animals are okay. I'm away this weekend. Sophia's staying with Rue. You know what I mean? Like Michael has five classes to teach. Vonda's going to make sure that, Vonda and Christopher's going to make sure the pets are okay. Like it's kind of a juggling act always. Yeah. Yeah, On stage might be the only time where I get to slow down and really enjoy exactly
1: where I am. Is that what you look forward to when you take the stage or is that something that you even think about
0: um, when I get on the stage I can't wait to play with my friend and see what the fuck happens yeah. that like is really exciting for me I'm like oh I can't wait to see what happens yeah. yeah as though as though I don't even have anything to do with it knowing fully well of course we do we, we make choices and we get to see where they pay off. Oftentimes people drop their shit in scenes because they don't know why they're doing it and they feel stupid. Mm -hmm. And they think the truth of themselves is that they feel stupid, so they're folding that into the character and they stop it. But that's like very upsetting to people who watched it and going, that's so awesome, please do it more or tell me why. So the minute you know why you're doing something, you feel awesome. So you could tell me why or I could tell me why no matter what, it gets thrown out in the scene and now I don't feel like an asshole. And it's coming from an organic physical choice that you made instead of a better left-brain idea that we're going to prove, like a thesis. That kind of shit's like autastic. It's really aspy. Mm-hmm. You are my love, and I love you. And you are my love. And we sit in the park, and then I will tell you that I love you. I'm yeah. <laughs> like mm, that's Aspie, yeah. As opposed to putting your hands on somebody's face and recognizing that's important.
1: I think of that stuff as like showing your work on stage, as opposed to telling. Well, no, like you remember, like when you do like math tests in high school, and like you could get the answer, but then they would deduct you points if you didn't show step by step how you arrived yeah. at the answer. New
0: math is pissing me off.
1: Yeah, it it, it yeah, <laughs> but it, it sort of feels like that sometimes on stage that like. You, the scene is basically in front of you, but instead of inhabiting it and and, and and wearing it and being inside of it, you're, like, demonstrating it to me step by step to kind of, like, get the check plus.
0: Well, that's—and and here's the thing. We're all funny, so I can say something funny, and I'm going to heighten it by being funnier. And it gets really old when you have so many other things available to you. There's yeah. so many other things. I don't—I mean— I know a lot of people get away with it and they're doing great and I love them and I would never disparage anybody's way of getting there. I don't care how you get there. I've got friends who are incredibly left brain driven and, um, and, and head driven and UCB is the perfect venue for them. My friend Lloydie could not be more of an Uber fan. He loves UCB, he's English, it fits his chess mentality in his head. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love playing a game too. I also love playing 40 other games. Mm -hmm. So I'll play about as many games as I can remember. Yeah. Yeah, because then the world gets richer and richer for me. Now, however, they really teach people how to write on their feet, and that's fucking awesome. The Magnet, I always feel, is more akin to um, what IO is Mm -hmm. a little more. And um, Second City, of course, is social and political satire. And The Annoyance is uncensored content, which is not my right as a comedian. It's my luxury. Mm -hmm. So I have to protect content and time slots there are times where I'm like, this will not serve 7 p.m., mm-hmm. you know? So I can I can handle myself, sort of, but I will also tell them if they ask for a messing with a friend that it is known as a joyful, uncensored, and improvised romp through hell. Mm-hmm. So if if they've got an issue with that, maybe they shouldn't use that show. But How then you, again, I play with Blaine. I mean, we do Blessing. Yeah. Blaine, and, you know, but that's also at 10.30 at night on a Tuesday night, and Blaine's letting off some steam, too. Yeah. And the boys, when I play with them at Second City, we're like rabid ferrets, so,
1: is that kind of? I mean, I guess it's everything. I guess it's knowing your time slot, knowing the kind of audience that's coming in to see you that particular True. night, knowing the night of the week, and all that stuff. It, 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 do you? Is that a conscious thought that you have to kind of make that adjustment to protect?
0: I don't think I change too much in myself anymore. I think people know. Oh, Susan's here. Yeah. I think something like that has given me some sort of tacit permission to do what I want to do, yet at the same time I'm still not interested in alienating my audience so they will be unable to laugh. Mm -hmm. It's not I'm a comedian, laugh at my shit, fuck you. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, for me it's more of a conscious approach when I'm writing a TED talk or I have to, you know, help somebody support them getting more jokes in in, in their script that they're punching up or I have to write an essay for stage. That's a different way to approach it. I actually have to teach a writing class I'm an improv class for writers tomorrow night and just how do we get to that specificity in organic ways just to loosen you up so you can find your own voice it's not what I normally do but how interesting that what we do is in support of so many things that other people want Mm -hmm. you know what I mean so I just have to keep it I have to keep it loose I think the more rigid we get as improvisers, um, the less fun it gets. Yeah. We have to keep ourselves as malleable as possible. I think what's frustrating is you do go through all these different schools, and UCB will tell you one thing, and then the magnet will tell you another thing, and then your teacher at the pit told you another thing. See how I made this very New York center.
1: Uh, I feel right at home.
0: Thank you. Um, and somebody will say, but this teacher told me this, this day, and then this teacher told me, and you get really frustrated because you have so many different right ideas about this work. And I said, you know what, I understand that you might be frustrated, but we're malleable, we're improvisers. So today I'm going to try on this shit, and then tomorrow I'll try on what that bitch wants, and then ultimately I'll do the kind of work I want to do with who I want to be doing it with. But in the meantime, um, I'm going to try it on fully, because if it hurts, you know, or if it's weird... That doesn't mean we shy away from it. We do it more. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe I just haven't committed enough and then I'm so busy doing it, I don't have time to decide whether that's a good or a bad choice. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. We talk ourselves out of shit far more than other people in a scene talk us out of shit. Yeah. We do not take responsibility for us. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Is that just from a fear of? Getting it wrong, or, or or is it just like feeling like too much of you is on the line for it? That you're gonna kind of like your reputation's gonna be fucked up, or or people are gonna think you're an asshole, or like
0: all of the above. Look, this this shit. Like my on-stage integrity and off-stage integrity are night and day. My daughter can't watch a DVD of my show until I'm dead. <sighs> I'm not joking. Like she's gonna be like, my mom was a creepy fuck. Like what is up with that? Yeah. But. My on-stage integrity and off-stage integrity are night and day. When I follow the template of character instead of rational plot, rational plot is rational you. Mm -hmm. So you can play grounded you until the cows come home, but then you're going to take a lot of offense at shit. I mean, I finger-point judge, teach you how to do shit right, solve your problems, and kill comedy. I don't want to play me on stage. That's Mm -hmm. bo-ring. I don't. And I don't want to be character-y either. I have to believe everything I say and do, even if she's off. Yeah. So, I will revisit something I don't believe until it turns into a fact so it doesn't sit there like a poopy joke. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that you can't go funny, 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 but that's a, for me, it's a meal full of Pringles. Mm-hmm. I'll get full, but I'll be like, I just got full from a meal full of fucking Pringles. I hate myself. Yeah. So, I'd just much rather see how this thing becomes, um, how, what is it? What would I say? It, it, a technicolor. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. like add, 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 add until this bitch is so real. That people will uh, people have come up to me and go, "Oh my God, when Sharon had that happen to her, yeah. Yeah. you know, like I'm like she's just a character. She's okay now.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <You know. laughs> like whatever." Is that stuff for you, like mostly steeped in emotion? That's it, that seems like such a, like a narrow question. No, like, I know
0: what you're saying. Some people are emotionally driven. Some people are headspace. Yeah. Um, I am physically driven. I will lead with a tiny synapse in my body and see what the fuck happens. Mm-hmm. And that will affect the way I speak, It'll, which will give me emotion. Because this is what happens if I act like me and I say, I'm going to be angry in this scene. By the middle of the scene, I'll be roly through my brains about what the funniest and clever way to be that human being, angry. Yeah. You know what I mean? It yeah. just, It's not interesting to me to fulfill a thesis, but it is interesting for me to kind of just lead with my shoulder and see how that makes me feel. Yeah. So that's why people who are so cerebrally driven and have kind of ignored their whole body, have ignored so many clues that you use in life. Like in life, you watch a guy and a girl at a, at a Starbucks and they're sitting there going, what the fuck? What? Like you see their bodies kind of like in this really antagonistic pose and you start filling in the lines for yourself based on what they're doing. Or if you watch uh, foreign TV, ever watch foreign tv and you turn down the sound and you like create the dialogue you're not creating it based on something else other than what you're watching so that's a point of inspiration so why wouldn't you use your body as a point of inspiration sure
1: and it makes that, it easier.
0: Yeah, for me, that's the, the most organic shit. But for people who don't want to, or who are cerebrally driven, who gives a shit about their body? Yeah. But I do, because it's a visual art. And if I could, if I want to listen to you being clever, I would much rather watch your podcast. Yeah. And I have watched podcasts, like where people are sitting at a table, and they're doing it for the audience, and they've got their microphones out. And I find that completely protected. I'm like, ooh, yeah, I'm in a radio show. That feels great. Mm-hmm. But when I see people just hanging out on the sides, and then kind of walking in, just saying a line, and aren't I funny? And then so. Somebody comes from there, does their funnier thing, and then they ignore everything else that's been created, just so that they can make a funnier joke. It's just not interesting for me, and that's just for me. That's not right.
1: Can you talk about protecting your content
0: so that people will be willing to laugh?
1: Yeah,
0: I think the simple version is the Norman Lear version, that where Archie Bunker. Um, was a vile, racist, sexist, a- anti-religion, anything other than his own character. Now, Carol Co- O'Connor, of course, was a very moral man, but he played one of the most disgusting, hateful characters on the planet. And Norman Lear wanted to expand TV, not to be just like, hi, honey, I'm home. And he's dealing with he's dealing with comedy as a teaching tool um, for tolerance. And so he made sure to create every character around George, I mean, not uh, around... Um, Archie. Archie, thank you. To be smarter than he. Mm. George Jefferson is far more successful and happens to be African American. You know, like even Edith, who you think is a dingbat, she's the one who will cut through the shit and say something incredibly profound. And that will stop him in his tracks. Mm. But, of course, he will go back to being the shitty character he is. He never really evolves. Mm -hmm. Even when they added the child actor in there to soften him up, (laughs) he's still going to be a dick. Because otherwise it doesn't work. So you can create offensive characters, but they are ludicrous. They are laughable. Because, as my husband Michael McCarthy, my brilliant husband Michael McCarthy, says, homophobia and sexism and racism still isn't funny you know just isn't funny it's interesting to examine it this to me is a sociological study of the human condition good bad and ugly so it's really great to examine it but it's also great to come out on the side of evolution
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah to boil it down to for that to be your joke to the scene seems to be a pretty thin scene to be hanging your hat on
0: i don't i also discover these people if if i start with somebody who ends up who i end up discovering is a very hateful person i'll take her through man I'm not going to back down on her. Yeah. She's really hateful, but she will look hateful. Yeah. And it's not me commenting on it deliberately like look at this hateful person. Right. I'll just discover, "Oh my god, the stuff that's coming out of her mouth is the worst."
1: Yeah. She's a horrible human being. Do you go in when you find a character like that are are you assuming that she has her reasons for things? And- yes, she always has a
0: reason for everything. Yeah. Everybody has a reason for everything, yeah, whether it come from the Bible or wherever it comes from. yeah, she, of course she has a reason because otherwise she's just two dimensional. When you used to watch Joan Collins like in Dynasty years ago, and you're like, she's two dimensional. She's just evil. Mm-hmm. You're kind of wondering, like, I don't know, did she like have a miscarriage in a bathroom? You know what I mean like did something make her like s- sad? <laughs> you know, And then you're like, that's why she's a cunt. yeah, pardon my French. Yeah,
1: you can say whatever you want. Gonna... Oh, I already have,
0: so <laughs> I just heightened it. <laughs> Here we go. Kansas uh, City population me. Woo-hoo.
1: <laughs> I I want to uh, uh, back up for a second because you were talking before about writing out TED talks. Oh God, well, I,
0: I just did my second one, and that is not a humble brag. That is what the fuck am I doing with my? Who the fuck wants me to talk about anything? Yeah, this the second one was easier.
1: What was the second one about?
0: The second one was about table manners and semantics. Okay. Isn't that interesting? That yeah. will get you get you into it, um, and I made it very simple, which was actually a good thing because their tech was so bad on the second one. It was a nighttime version. Hmm. Um, the first time was through the University of Chicago TEDx. It was like UFC TEDx, and those kids were actually really on it. And I had to have like slides and shit. And I was very excited because I fought for, I had to fight for and win a slide that said Anal Probe by Aliens. Yeah. And I thought to myself, I am going to be the only person in the history of TED Talks that has a slide that says Anal Probe by Aliens. That's all I wanted to do. Obviously that my my goals are small, but they're mighty. <laughs> um, so I got that in there. This time I had no slides. This time was only like seven minutes. And for some reason, the way they set it up, that it was a daytime event last time. This one was... uh tedx river north Mm -hmm. and it was a nighttime event from 6 p.m on so they had 10 speakers and of course since it was 10 speakers at 6 p.m we're going to cut it down and it's going to be 7 to 10 minutes which is perfectly fine because i've heard people have like fold a napkin in three or four minutes or something like that for ted and uh before me, this the coolest guy, his name's Aaron something, he is the predominant surfer photographer of the world. His slideshow didn't work, so they had to like do it right off his computer or something. And then even he had a beautiful soundtrack that they had to like just take a microphone and you you know and put up to his computer. So you could just I mean, right now what you guys are doing is ten times more, you know, like put together. It's just something just got screwed up. Yeah. And the irony is that they were doing it at 1871, which is this tech hub center in Chicago. Mm. So they just, I don't know, that just something happened. It was, it was, you know, you know it happens. Yeah. But anyway, then another woman did a guided meditation. A guided meditation. People have gone through a whole day of work. They can't wait for a guided meditation. They are asleep. So <laughs> I look at them and I'm like, now my, my fear is gone. My fear is more like, oh shit, I gotta wake these bitches up. So it will either look nice and short and succinct when it comes out, or it will look like I'm screaming at you. Uh So I haven't, I can't tell. It really is a 50-50 chance that I could look like a maniac or not. I think I actually did it because there is such a fear of me of, oh man, did you see Messing Shit herself for posterity? You got to check this out (sighs) online. Like there's that horrible fear that I will screw that up forever. And it's like, how much can I control of my own personal shit fire and still get a message out. Yeah. So that is the only reason I have done TED Talks because they are so apparently scary to me. They are so out of my comfort zone. They are so out of my jurisdiction. I mean, I don't know why. I mean, I'm not being cute. I don't know why anybody would want... So bring it. Like, okay, man. I'll. I I'll, Here's why I did it. I don't know why I'm supposed to do it. Like, you do something and you don't know why. Mm-hmm. Like... It will reveal itself mm-hmm. why I was supposed to do that, mm-hmm. whether to face fear or whatever is its own bitch. But for me, I don't know what it's going to bring. Mm-hmm. So I guess I guess I should do this so I get to discover why. I just like just like improv. Yeah. And I was dealing. Uh, I was talking to my friend Ruby yesterday, and Ruby was saying, "I never think of things like that. I do something because I want this to occur." Yeah. And she said, "Wow, what a concept of doing something." To see what will happen. Yeah. Yeah, that's where I am in my life. Like I I do a lot of people will ask me to do things that are really outside my jurisdiction, and I'll be like, I don't know why I'm doing that, but I I will try that because happily?
1: Do you do that happily or do you do it? No, I
0: kind of I kind of buckle down and do it. Like I kind of go, Well, I'm doing this for a reason, I don't know why yet but it will reveal itself to me and it's obviously there to stress me, to st- not stress me, to stretch me, yeah. although that came out, and challenge me. That's good because I don't want to rest on my petty laurels at this stage of the game. Yeah. You know what I mean? The day I stop learning is the day I stop, start dying. I'm too young to die. So I just want to keep, I, you know, when somebody asks me to do something, especially, you know, I can know when I'm like, that is so wrong and you know, like there's no reason for me, like I've always wanted to race cars, I'll try that on. I've always wanted to be a hockey goalie, and I'm at home. I'm in the Rangers home. You guys, I went over to the garden yesterday and I saw everybody with blue shirts. I was like, shut up. Like, I'm with my, like, it felt so good because that's my childhood is Sunday nights at the garden. Yeah. So I'm just being home. That was really, that was a really amazing thing. You can see how happy I am because being a Rangers fan in Chicago is. Jesus. I bet. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's not a good idea. <laughs> it's not a good idea. So, here you go. Yeah. And that's the only sport I even give a shit about, let alone, like, I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about my Rangers. Lifelong. Lifelong. Yeah. Well, actually, the 75 76 season, okay. that's right. when I started. I can still probably name the lineup.
1: It, it would fall flat on me. I, 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 Ron Harris,
0: Ron, uh, Ron Greshner, uh, Ooh, wait. Don Marcotte, Roger Bear, Steve Vickers. Uh, Walter Kachik was number 18. I could I could go back there in just a second. It's like doing the splits. Yeah. You know, you got to warm up a little bit. Yeah. But, you, but I can always get down, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I want to uh, um, uh, talk for a sec about the way that improv has gone pretty mainstream, not just entertainment-wise. Oh, but my like cock. Every, that was part of
0: my thing, too, yeah. my last TED Talk, where we talk about, where I mentioned very briefly that they're using it to help Alzheimer's patients yeah. stay in the moment. Sharna... Over at the IO. And if ever, anybody knows Sharna, she's the last person you would expect to be going to CERN to talk to super collider particle physicists. Yeah. What the fuck? I mean, this is insane. I just was working with a Fortune 100 company last week. And, you know, it, it's fascinating. It's fascinating yeah. teaching them, because people think to get up to the status that they need. Oh, AS uh, for ALS, uh, for not ALS, <laughs> no. They're using improv for, um, to help people with stress disorders. Mm-hmm. They're uh, people with autism teaching them how to have um, to understand verbal and human cues mm-hmm. and to tap in emotionally because it's just not in their rational skill set. You know what I mean? So yeah. helping people with that is it's insane. Yeah. When I first started, you just didn't want to get kicked off stage and you want to get better at it. it. Like thirty years ago, this is these are just make ups. Like and now when I say make em ups, people are like the integrity of the art and I'm like, no, it's still make em ups. Yeah. But still it's amazing how mainstream it's gone. Yeah. G- crazy.
1: Yeah. Well, we were talking before the interview again about uh, um, like the rise in peanut allergies and, and, and autism. autism and ADD and all of which are kind of appearing within like a generation or two and suddenly yeah, like it's exploding. A, it's a
0: chemical stew.
1: Yeah. It's kind of interesting that like at the same time as as whatever is changing is changing, that's kind of making that stuff happen. It, it also kind of coincides with improv kind of growing out of the kind of like Island of Misfits era into something that can help teach people to kind of relate to each other a little better. Or, you know what I mean?
0: I love that you're saying that because, you know, the the original annoyance was known as the Island of Misfit Toys. Oh, yeah. We were known as that and in Chicago. And it's nice to see that we have a place in Brooklyn. Thank <sighs> you, Philip. Um, but I, I just don't – I I see where people add validity – to something that, because it really does help people. Um, and then people started changing their curriculums to support that. I I think it's awesome. I mean, even the whose line is it anyway, people, if that's what brings people to the interest of it so that we can teach them other things, I think it's awesome. I think to teach people how to loosen up and play together is a remarkable thing in a no but world. And the irony is so. The irony is that in so many yes and buildings, where the whole theory is yes and, there's a lot of no but mm-hmm. going on. You can play with these people, and these are the rules, and this is what you have to do. I'm going. Wait a minute, you're yes and, you're yes and. That mm-hmm. is, it has to start with us bitches. You know what I mean? As opposed to saying that's one. That's what I dealt with in my second TED talk was about semantics and talking people in instead of saying. You know, Mick always said we never say you should because when you say you should don't you want to do the equal and opposite thing mm-hmm. but if you say i have i have i have a suggestion then i'll take a suggestion so it's what do how do we make people eat mm-hmm. you know what i mean how do we talk people in the the more people go up the corporate ladder the more they think that gives them the ability to say no because it stops everything and it makes them important. They're like, shut up. I managed to shut everything down just from my fucking words. Yeah, but then you've also stopped a joyride mm-hmm. and you've stopped the potential of something amazing to happen. So these are table manners that are used in anything from improv to the corporate venues. And um I think it works. And sometimes when we go back to like table manners, so you can sit at the grown up table and have more fun than anybody, then something is going to happen. So that's what I talked about.
1: That's really interesting of people kind of stopping the joyride for others because it gives them like a momentary power. My words have power. That's
0: why you argue in scenes. Yeah. You stop the scene because you're like, now I know this person is really dealing with me because I have created this conflict that forces them to deal with this rationally. And I'm like, yeah, that will create rational drama and it's awesome. Yeah. But when you commit and recommit to your choices and they do to theirs and we enjoy each other, you will discover what's up with your scene and you will propel it forward, including to hell. I don't fix your problems in comedy. Yeah. I just don't. Yeah. I just don't. So taking care of your partner does not mean, you know, the other person makes you whole. Mm -hmm. Like I could still get off by myself. Mm -hmm. I would choose to get off with you, Mm -hmm. but I will still get off. Yeah and so I can play with those people who ignore me on stage I used to be angry that they ignored me my big example of that is like I had two guys arguing about pants in a scene and I was downstage, and those guys were completely ignoring me and I remember I was a rule police at the time I was like I can't believe they're ignoring me it's a three person scene and I'm in it and stuff all I had done in the scene was go like this so I did it again okay that's a horse so I discovered an apple on my desk and I ate it like a horse And the phone rang and I kind of hoofed it down to the ground and, you know, stomped out what extension to call. And by the end of the scene, I am galloping around these two guys arguing about pants. And the audience thought it was the horse pants scene. (laughs) You know, you want to add some integrity? Great. This is how Greece is fucking over the Euro. Uh You know what I mean? Like, you know, so I got to do what I got to do. And then I realized, oh, if I don't look at you on stage, we might be okay. Yeah. You know, I don't go up to my daughter, you know, if I'm at the computer and she is at the, you know, watching Adventure Time, I am no less her mother. Right. You know, so eye contact and da, da, da. These rules are suggestions that might get you off faster. And it's a clue because if I look at you, we're fine maybe, or not. Or if I don't look at you, we're fine, or not. How is she looking at you? Mm -hmm. You know?
1: Mm -hmm. Can you uh, talk a little bit about... Because um, I'm interested in, in the kind of the way stuff has gone really mainstream and the way – to me, it feels a little bit – you've watched Deadwood on HBO? No. Oh, huh. it's a good show.
0: I watch documentaries.
1: Fair I enough. You
0: know enough. You know why I don't watch – and this is so awful. I don't watch um, comedy. Yeah. I love my friends, and they're fucking running—my friends run the world yeah. of comedy. They're brilliant. Um, I try not to watch comedy too often, and I try not to watch episodic TV too often, because I don't want someone ever to come up to me after a show and go, oh, my God, I just saw that on Deadwood. Mm-hmm. I just don't want that. Yeah. That's why I read biographies and autobiographies and memoirs and
1: that that kind of stuff. Yeah. That uh, makes perfect sense.
0: It does, but it also makes me out of the loop sometimes. So occasionally, I'll watch an episode of two or something just so I know what the stylistic choices and, and that I know what I'm talking about. I probably should watch it more. I just I don't want it to bleed on stage because everything you know, everything I do and say has been bled from somewhere. Yeah. And my husband has to watch all of that because he teaches pilot production, sitcom spec, SNL packet, and talk show packet. So. He has he's always watching that. Yeah. And it's always on our D V R as well. So I'm like, oh, I should probably watch that Louis. And I'm like, no, I can't.
1: But you would rather feed yourself with with stuff from the real world that can bleed out onto stage rather than other people's entertainment.
0: I do make believe all the time. So I find the world fascinating. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's 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 the difference for me. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, I came into Second City on Friday night to do our show and I walked into the teachers uh The staff room, or whatever, walked into there, and the first thing that came out of my mouth was I hate comedy. I was just so tired and yeah. I realized, oh my God, that's what we do. We sit around and laugh all day long and try to make it funnier. I was just, I just, something in me snapped. <laughs> it's like, and I've had a great week. It's yeah. been insane, but I've had a great week. So it was just interesting that that's what came out of my mouth. Yeah. I was like, I was surprised I said that. I wasn't like, I'll come upstairs and tell everybody I hate comedy. That'd be funny. I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe that came out of my mouth. And that's what I do for my living i 'm an asshole
1: <laughs> yeah, but you know what 's awesome though is that that can come out of your mouth because it, it your entire life is is creativity and making yeah. comedy and teaching people comedy and developing yeah. comedy, and like it would be easy enough to feel those feelings and then suppress it because that i shouldn 't be saying that
0: no but but i 'll do that sometimes anyway when I was at on main stage at second city, I remember i 'd stand outside the building. And I'd take a deep breath and I'd put a smile on my face and then I would say, everybody wants my job. Mm -hmm. And I would walk in the building and that's what I needed to do to adjust my attitude because it is ridiculous what I do for a living. My my best friend from high school, Leslie, who lives in the village, I just saw her last night. Leslie runs a place called Medhattan, which is an urgent care facility right by where the World Trade Center is and it's a great place. But she used to be the head of... um, you know, emergency room yeah. in a couple of hospitals. And, you know, she went to Harvard and Albert Einstein. And I mean, she does something, she saves people's lives. I'm going, and I do make them ups. Yeah. So I, you know, when we start taking ourselves too seriously, something is terribly wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I want to. Uh, Which tells me about the mainstream. We've given validity and importance to what we do. And everybody, may everyone feel valid and important. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, are we having more fun than anyone else? Yeah, and is that why people are joining in? Because they want to drink that Kool Aid? Yeah. that would make me happiest. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, going back to like the guy in a class who who kind of like will stop a scene until it's clear that he has power, and then he'll let the scene.
0: But he doesn't have power.
1: Yeah, I know. Because
0: here's the thing. You know, we always think like crazy this or that big energy will win, or the one who speaks the loudest. But I will be in a scene where two people are sitting there arguing about a divorce and I will be their fat child in back putting up balloons at a birthday party yeah. with asthma.
2: Yeah.
0: You know? And that weird condom balloon that never opens up. You know who you're going to watch? Him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I'm busy. Yeah. I'm busy. Yeah. So it's not who wins. It takes all those energies to make that comedy happen. You're right. going to look at the divorced couple. You're going to watch the kid. You're going to, you know, you're going to watch all this shit. So... When someone thinks that they can take focus in the sense of taking, like this is their scene, good luck with that. I mean, I do understand the theory that if somebody, you know, starts a game that, and we're supposed to all play it until it's dead, then I guess that's their scene. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't. I don't play like that, and I don't. I don't play with those people, so I don't know. But I do understand the collective. Let's join in and make this the best thing it is. Yeah, that's awesome. But when people have problems with giving and taking focus. Um, they might want to consider just having some time to, for example, do stand up, mm-hmm. because then it will be all about them, so that they can come back and be an integral part of a whole instead of making it about themselves.
1: Yeah, I have a theory, and I'm lucky enough where I just get to make my living improvising. So this is kind of I'm talking out of my butt. But ah, uh, the old butt theory. The old butt theory. One of my theories about why so many people are so jazzed about learning improv these days for non people who don't want to be in entertainment is. Um, it kind of feels like a lot of people are just kind of trapped in shitty scenes. They work for someone who's that guy in a scene who doesn't let anybody have any fun until it's clear that he has the power. And and it just kind of has that feeling of, like, you're in a shit scene. And then you come to improv class and you kind of learn how to be in good scenes. You learn how to, like, tap into this good group table, thing yeah. and good table manners and, and it, it sort of I don't know it, somehow it's kind of like helping to course correct whatever like, hang up we've gotten into culturally
0: I love that it's helping to course correct the problem we are having culturally yes that is why you can't blame your audience ever yeah those assholes got off their flat asses put down the vape pen walked over to your goddamn show and sat there Expecting to have a great time, assholes. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Our job is to have more fun than anybody else. Then, mm. which is really hard in a world that's that's hard. I, I will say this: this is the only time where I really can. I mean, it it, it is, and, and I can't even control it on stage, and I I don't want to. I don't want to control that. I'm I'm usually the person they hand the purel to. I'm the line leader, you know, for my preschool. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm that person. I've never asked to be that person. Maybe it's because, I don't know, I've, God, I remember years ago going out with someone and we went to a restaurant and somebody was having a diabetic seizure on the floor and everybody was just kind of looking at him. And I remember just looking down and turning to somebody and saying, Go get orange juice, um, keep him comfortable. Um, I got orange juice down his throat. He started like screaming at me, like horrible. But I knew he was getting back to his normal thing because he wasn't in seizure land anymore. His friends were just kind of staring at him. The woman who was seating people was was annoyed just because she couldn't seat people. I'm like, Am I the only rational person in this whole fucking place right now? Mm. So in life, I have to take, I have to make sure everything is okay. Here I don't give a shit if everything is okay, yeah. you know. So maybe maybe people know that they can crumble or they can be king, you know. Hmm. Here and they can't control that in their lives, and they can't control it on stage. But it's an organized chaos, yeah. In the sense that we can't wait to do more of it, so that you know it isn't personal i think that's where people have problems on stage when they start taking it personally Mm -hmm. because they're playing a character close to themselves and then you end up with these fuck you fuck you more scenes and you can get away with it because of your snarky funny but it's not particularly interesting to watch it just isn't after a while yeah i'm like yeah i've seen that okay you were offended as you so you folded it into the character unfortunately you didn't start out as a snarky asshole so i want to watch this the first guy not the new guy you've become because you've been affected
1: yeah What's your take on long form?
0: Love it. I love it more than short form just for me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't like short form for me, but this is my long form. You take a suggestion and see what the fuck happens. I find that elements come back and games come back and people might come back, but, but it's not um, my Herald, my movie, my deconstruction, my yeah. blink. I don't give a shit about your form it's just a house where your bitches live, you know what I mean. And if you love your characters, time passes, and that's why someone from scene one A can meet someone in three B. Yeah, because I'm like, oh man, th- we could just meet each other at any time. The waitress in that scene could meet you at the bank.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, however, uh, I do understand why form exists. I don't think I think if you if you have a new form, uh, that's just a new house where them bitches live. And frankly, if it's too fancy for you, you the too many bells and whistles. Your audience doesn't get it either Mm -hmm. and nobody likes it. Mm -hmm. So you might want to look back at how your form supports you guys. What is, form should play to your strengths. Oh my God, we love to do monologues. Great, let's have a monologue form. Um, You also have to look at your space in in, in a new light, that I-beam that's taking up, you know, half the stage. Mm -hmm. Maybe you got to use it better. You got to use it as part of this. So you know how in New York they practice so much vertical gardening just because there's so little space? Well, the reason why people are standing around arguing in all their scenes is because their stages are too small. Mm. So that's when I will break that fucking fourth wall and use the whole goddamn theater because it might just be a little too small for me. Mm. Mick used to almost taunt me about it. He's like, oh, you're going to break the fourth wall again? I said, give me a bigger stage and I won't. I don't seem to break the fourth wall a lot if I was playing at Steppenwolf. Mm-hmm. So shut the fuck <laughs> up. So, but so I might use the world and the people in it without like, you know, I don't think people have to worry that I'm going to be Gallagher. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I, I might use the world. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: You, when when you were studying with uh, Del and Sharna. Mm hmm. It was like during the period where Dell was still kind of figuring out the structure of the Herald, or was it already more or less kind of there? Dell was
0: figuring it out in the 60s. Yeah. He was figuring it out so long ago. No, the Herald had been—they had been doing it for like five years. Four, Io had existed for about four or five years mm. when I came in. But it was still a bunch of people standing around on the stage, you know, like very aligned— you know, your invocation might be your opening and then you would have three scenes and then their game and your game was three set games, you know, like three, like those set games you could do, which if you look at it now are things like, oh, hotspot or, you know, like or or slideshow, like these games we were allowed to do. I remember Blue Velveeta, we invented a new game, like kind of, a, it was like a kind of cafeteria line, which was sort of like the, you know, when you, uh, telephone game where you know something gets misconstrued down the line and we thought "Ooh, isn't that special and organic games started happening right around when blue velveta was happening because i remember somebody on my team once did something organic i'm like what the fuck is that shit Mm. and people with less judgments on my team jumped in and was like oh my god we got to discover what this game was but to remind the audience of what the suggestion was so we started bending stuff with us we started doing just what we did a lot more seamlessly. Mm-hmm. And then Dell Del gets bored because he's not really interested in product. So once the product's done, he's interested in something new. So he would fuck with us with new things. And then when the family came around, he would fuck with them with new things. And when people of Earth came around and he would fuck with them on... Usually ended up being who moved him into his new apartment mm-hmm. was who <laughs> we fucking worked with. Um but we were excited, and it was always an experiment. The thing is, is once you get something, and then you put it down, it becomes an institution. I guarantee you, if Dell saw any of the books that we all put out about improv at this point in our lives, he'd be like, "Yeah, okay, fine. Now what?" Mm-hmm. He would not be interested in your chess game. Mm-hmm. He'd be like, "So what are you going to do now?" Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of interesting because every single building is co-opted. Dell. Right. Dell is far more popular in death than he ever was alive. I think he would be delighted with it. I I just liked him as a person because nobody hugged Dell. Yeah. So they were scared of him, so yeah. that's that's where I went.
1: Were you scared of him too? No, no. Did you?
0: I was. I would. I would not. I was reticent about talking because I because he was so fucking smart that yeah. anything that came out of my mouth is going to look moronic. But he knew what I loved like he knew I was into ex-Scientology shit way before this shit mm-hmm. and so he would kind of steer Scientology like he was very thoughtful he would he left me all his autobiographies and biographies well he left a friend of his um, his first edition so the guy kind of <sighs> took every first edition out but that's fine it's you know he needed to sell them or whatever he needed to do with them but I have books of Dell's that he left me because he thought I would be in, he knew I liked biographies and autobiographies yeah. he was thoughtful he yeah. was thoughtful he didn't think he would be and then later on, he didn't have as much oxygen going to his brain. So it was a different time. And I remember sometimes people would take my class and then say, you know, in Dell's class, you barely got on stage. And I, and, I, and I tried to reframe it like you do with everything. And I said, you know what? This guy's a mega living legend. I said, let him talk about Iranian TV for 20 minutes and then get on stage once. You're going to find him fascinating when you look at him that way instead of all the times I get on stage. Yeah. Because you might get on stage once a class. Yeah. And once they started doing that, they are like, holy shit, he was just talking to us about Wavy Gravy and da-da-da-da-da. i am like, yeah. That's crazy good.
1: That's the thing. A lot of people have mentioned about him that that it wasn't really so much what he taught per se as it was he himself kind of lit you up.
0: Mick was my teacher mix perverse sense of anything is what made me excited about the work i was like oh my god i think that way too dell gave me affirmation, mm-hmm. and Dell was the kind of guy who didn't like women very much, or that was the that was apparently the word on the street, but I'd, I don't know about that. He liked me, and that's all that mattered. Yeah. So I was like, oh. and he even went up to Sharna once. She doesn't even remember this, but he went up to Sharna once, and I know because my boyfriend at the time, Louis, was listening to this conversation. He said, hey, uh, Sharna, you know that girl you don't like? She goes, what are you talking about? Knowing fully well that you know, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know that uh, girl you don't like, uh, the one, uh, Jewish girl, uh, you know the one you don't like. And she said, "I don't know what you're talking about." And Louis leans and he goes, "Susan Massing, goes, yeah, Susan Massing, the girl you don't like. She did a great scene in class today. You know what I mean? Like, so, so that was kind of the thing. Now, don't get me wrong, Sharn and I are uber tight now. Yeah. You know, I love the girl." Um, and I can tell her things because what's she gonna do? Fire me? You yeah. know what I mean? But like and, and she can, of course she could actually. And that would be perfectly fine if she had to, you know. But at the same time, I think she knows I honor her building yeah. as I honor everywhere I am. So
1: I I I might be wrong about this. Maybe this is just kind of how I romanticize it a little bit. But I, I We were talking
0: of, about memory and how we romanticize right, exactly.
1: it. Exactly. I kind of think of it as like <laughs> Dell's experimentation era where he was just constantly trying new stuff with people and constantly doing stuff that didn't work and constantly, it kind of like lent enough validity to the people who were really passionate about it to kind of kick improv into a little bit more of like an experimental art form and a little bit less of like, um, gameplay.
0: Yes.
1: But, but from that, you then enter this kind of like era where things become very codified and things become very kind of rigid and Harold yes. looks exactly like this.
2: Yes. And it sort
1: of seems like now we're we're in a little bit more of a free place where some of those lessons have become internalized and you don't need quite as many rules to just kind of create a world where you care uh, about a bunch of people. You disagree.
0: I think the advent of new theaters is what's expanding our new codify, but I think everybody's very clear about what their code is. Yeah. Even to say you can do anything you want at the annoyance is its own code. Right. So I don't know if this makes us looser, I mean, I'm coming here after all these years to say, fucking play, asshole, just fucking play. And then everybody's like, yay, like it's this new thing because they were all told a bunch of fucking rules. And I wasn't even told a bunch of fucking rules. For me, they were always suggestions. So I don't know when, I think everybody wants to play right. Nobody wants to be kicked off. Remember the girl who played right? She insisted on the rose and the birthday cake. And I'm going to tell you what to say, and you're the prince, and I get to be this, and this is what I want to say, and this is what I want you to say. Nobody liked her. She had no friends. So, so in our world, we do want some sort of formula so we don't fuck it up, I guess, um, because there would be complete anarchy, and it upsets people who like st- structure. And so I understand that structure has been created. I would love us to enter far more of a playful sphere. You know why? Because then you discover more instead of place it and know that this is right. So I would like looser stuff. The irony is that sometimes the people who that we say that are playing, um, that have these really rigid rules, they're actually playing the loosest of all. Mm-hmm. And, but it's just not necessarily what, what they have to teach in the building. So I find this, I just, I think we're all going to keep going through spheres of this where it gets real loose and then it gets real rigid again, and then it gets real loose, real rigid. I played with Mick. Now, if anybody knows how Mick plays as an improviser, he, he plays meta, man. Mm-hmm. Not only does he play meta, he's like playing with mercury. Mm-hmm. You're like, you shouldn't play with it, but you know it's just too much fun to pick up them damn little mercury balls. So I'm just holding on for dear life. Like, you know, like it's like anal sex or something. Relax, you know, like just <laughs> Jesus Christ. And uh, so the people who saw that show, it was the night before Thanksgiving one year, were like, Holy fucking shit! Those bitches bent form. I've never seen anything like that. And these are solid improvisers who've been doing it forever. Going, yeah, "Yeah, I'll watch Mick eat Susan. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was a crazy ride, but it was fun. Some woman the next week who runs improv in Boulder, Colorado. She knows improv. She's an expert of improv. Sent us a letter and saying that um, it couldn't uh, that that was horrible improv, and how dare we? And it was obvious we were drunk. Which I've never drank before. I've gone on stage for my entire life, so I'm quite sure of that. Mm. Um, what the fuck? Like, she, and she, her 97 year old uh, mother in law came. Like, well, first of all, you should take your 97 year old mother in law to see cats instead of a joyful, uncensored, and improvised romp yeah. through hell. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, that's, that's her bad on this. But Jen was just like, you can have your money back. And gave her her money back. A week later, she sort of recanted. She sent me a letter going, Oh, I guess, I guess where you're coming from, which means that she Googled me and Mick and went, Oh man, I shouldn't alienate Mm -hmm. them bitches. Mm -hmm. But it's happened so rarely, but I get right fighters all over the world. Mm -hmm. I had a woman in Nottingham, England tell me she could not study with me because I said, rape the stage. I didn't say her, get down and hump the stage. What I was talking about was destroy and decimate Mm -hmm. your world. Mm -hmm. Destroy it. But because I used the word rape, she thought I was giving some sort of tacit permission to young men in the group to rape people, Mm -hmm. which actually showed to me a disgust and distrust of the people around her. Mm -hmm. What young man is going to sit there and rape? And even then, it would have been raping the stage Mm -hmm. as opposed opposed to me saying, heighten it until that bitch is dead. Mm -hmm. Not heighten her and fuck with her so right fighters don't do so well with me because, but then I rip them a new asshole really quickly and they either go oh I'm too rigid or they go well I can't play with that I'm like well then I guess you just won't play because I guess I'm on the wrong side of evolutionary history <laughs> I'm on the wrong side of history Messing it is time to Hitler this shit up and Messing you are the Jew at Treblinka let's go die of
1: typhus Susan Messing Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for talking. That was awesome. That was amazing. You
0: are amazing. Thank you so
1: much. Hey, it was a real pleasure. Thanks a lot. And thank you guys for listening. The Magna Theater Podcast is produced by Evan Ford Barden and engineered by Grant Michael Goldberg with executive producer Ed Herbstman and is recorded at the Magna Training Center in New York City. Horny. 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 We can be found on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We appreciate the support. No, they're going to get so mad at you for this one. (laughs) I mean, so mad at you. This will be our highest rated one. I guarantee it.
0: Oh, I'm going to get ripped a new asshole by somebody in Venezuela. You do know that the (laughs) playwright.
1: This podcast has been brought to you by the Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all the other classes we offer at magnettheater.com.
0: Wait a minute. You know you're going to find me in a gulag, a Scientology fucking gulag. I'm going to be in the RPF. I'm dead. I am dead. This is the last podcast I will ever do.
1: Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theater for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found at MagnetTheater.com. I hate myself. Goodbye. Bye, everyone.
0: Bye. You've been listening to the Magnet Podcast. password then press pound you have one saved voice message first saved voice message sent Sunday May 3rd at 9 32 a.m. Hey Grant what the fuck this is Susan Messing Lewis and Emma and I are just sitting here like chewing the fat wing for you to like your fancy plug-in man shit I don't know what the fuck, man. I got here, like, so fucking early because I heard you were, like, the computer guy and now you're not here. Cancel the christening for this shit? What the fuck? Man, be your word. End of message.